Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to The Impact Code, where we take deep dives into the stories and journeys of impact in the lives of our guests. I met today's guest while completing my MBA at University of Tennessee. We instantly hit it off, so much so that I ended up coming to work for him at Tower Community Bank. At this point, you may have guessed who I'm talking about. That's right. We have with us today Tower's president and CEO, Barry Allen. In today's episode, we cover everything from leadership philosophy to the vision for Tower Community Bank and how we instill that vision in the team members here. It's a great conversation, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. Before we begin today's episode, I want to pause and thank Tower Community Bank for bringing this episode to us all completely free. Tower pays for everything about this podcast. They pay for all the equipment, they pay for the hosting, and they pay for everything related to marketing for this podcast. So if you're listening now, it's thanks to Tower Community Bank. I work here at Tower, and one of the reasons that I love Tower and love to brag about Tower is that we are so extremely customer-focused, and we're really working to revolutionize what it means to be a community bank and how far community banks can reach into the community. So why a podcast? Tower brings you this podcast because we care about making our communities better places to live, to work, and to raise families. And so that's what we're trying to do. We see this podcast as a way to spread our message and to further our mission in the community. So if you like today's episode, please head on over to www.towercommunitybank.com and check us out. And now, without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Barry Allen. Barry, welcome to the Impact Code. Hey, Brett, glad to be a part of this. I've, uh, I've listened to the first few podcasts and and great job. Yeah, it's been a fun project and it's one that you and I talked about early on. So even from my first few weeks here at Tower, we were already thinking towards this project and it's really cool to see it starting to come to life. Yeah, I think um, early on when we started the idea of the virtual bank and we hadn't necessarily thought that uh, even though podcasts had kind of entered the conversation, there were already some banks out there and some credit unions specifically that were uh, looking at this idea of, of connecting with their folks through social media. We had been pretty successful with that, but no financial institution had gotten to the point where they were uh, considering a podcast. And, and you and I, having just shared some space in, space in graduate school for quite some time, we had this idea of, of um, well, hey, you know, if you... Um, do this virtual bank thing. Why don't we reach out directly to our uh, to our client base and to our communities and give them something that uh, might connect them with the bank other than their dollars and cents? You know, something that um, shows them that we're out there really making an impact. and And you've done a fantastic job with it, and and it helped us make the decision because you had the ability already to just understand sound and understand how to communicate with people. And that's not a, that's not something that people just, just um, work on and work on. You mm-hmm. have a bit of a talent to do that. So it worked out good. We, we lucked up having you decide that you wanted to do it. Yeah. And uh, otherwise it, you know, I don't have any business hosting a podcast. So, you <laughs> know, I'm, I'm a banker. It's all I'm good at. And, um, um, you know, we, we just wouldn't be in this place without you. So it's all, it's all you. It's a, it's a great project. I think it's a, I always find when you can have sort of past life experiences and things that you enjoy meld together in a project, it, 
ends up being a huge success. And I think this is one that just so happened to be something that you wanted to bring to the bank, something that I had some experience in in the past. In fact, my undergraduate degree is really around music business. And so uh, audio engineering was a big part of that. And then something that I love to do and something that you love to do, which is just share other people's stories. And so this is a really cool platform to be able to do that. And I'm excited to jump in today and, and talk a little bit more with you about not just your story and your journey to the impact that you're having here at Tower, but ultimately how Tower is having an impact, not just here in Tennessee, but even further now through this podcast and through several other projects that we're working on, we're really looking to continue to have the same uh, leverage and the same sort of impact that we've always had in this area, which is Jasper, where you and I are sitting. Sure. But then how are we starting to expand that? So I'd love to start today, Barry, with just allowing you the chance to share your story. So you're the president and CEO of Tower. And I'd, I'd love to hear your journey to that. And you could take that however that feels personally meaningful to you. Sure. I, I, my story is probably not uh, that different from a lot of uh, community bankers that have found themselves in this role. That, sure. And that is, there's probably some type of impact. And in my case, it was certainly, the, I, I grew up around uh, in Lawrence County and Southern Middle Tennessee, a bunch of what were consummate community bankers. Yeah, And I was exposed to them at a very young age. And then when I went away to, went away to college, <clears throat> got the degree and, and went to work for a larger financial institution and got all of the training and all those cool things. But you mm-hmm. still kind of have this uh, thought in your DNA that there's some impact that you can make in a community bank that maybe you can't make. Yeah, in your current position at the time, it, it's not a. That's not a. That's not a uh, editorial comment on larger banks. They certainly sure. do a lot for the communities around them, but those individuals in those institutions may not have as much direct impact in their community as much as the institution does. So, <clears throat> you work your way through your career, and and most of that comes from larger uh, financial institutions and. And then you make your way back into uh, what are these smaller community bank institutions. And and I've certainly worked for the biggest of the big mm-hmm. uh, from a regional perspective and national perspective. And I've, I've worked now for the smallest of the small. And I made my way down to asset sizes that uh, are where we're at today and, and, mm-hmm. and towers roughly a $330 million bank today. Mm-hmm. And and when I first started here in my, uh, you know, a few years back, we were at, you know, 180, you know, $200 million. So yeah. we've had a, a quite a bit of growth and, and, um, <clears throat> it's, it's been interesting to see a bank, community banks really are, uh, these mechanisms that are built, built to invest back in the communities that they're in. Yeah. In fact, our mission is just that make the communities we live in, better places to live, work, and raise families. And we yeah. literally wake up every day thinking about that when this bank, we're actually 53 years old this year. Uh, when when the bank was founded back many months ago, it started just for that, was to um, help people that were basically coal miners and, and uh, loggers and foundry workers and folks that didn't necessarily have access to credit uh, locally. And it started with this idea that, hey, these folks need to buy cars. They need to build houses. They need to do all those things that, that they um, uh, feel like are important from a lifestyle perspective. And, and if anything, we've probably today stretched that into this idea of, well, hey, even these metropolitan markets that we're in outside of the legacy uh, Sequatchie Valley market, you know, they their same needs are out there. It may be a certain demographic within the population. It may right. be 
it may be a certain uh, side of town. It may be um, it may be a product that just needs to be delivered to that market that's never been there. It may be uh, sharing our income with those communities in the form of donations and partnerships and all of those kind of things that that banks have done a really good job at over the years. And and certainly banks, um, we can't be a hundred percent altruistic. We still have to produce profit and grow capital and all of those things that that our charter our federal charter uh, and state, in our case, we're a state chartered uh, FDIC institution. We, we have to play by those rules. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as long as we can do that and we have this money left over to be able to give back to the communities, that's what we're good at. My yeah. daughter was talking to me the other night. She says, she says, I don't understand how you guys buy the uniforms for, um, the wrestling team. I don't understand mm-hmm. how you guys are um, helping sponsor the local uh, theater project. I don't understand how how do y'all do that? Mm-hmm. And it was a very honest question, and 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 it, it's a it's a profound question. And I said, well, I said I call her baby all the time. So I said, baby, I said we we do that by taking people that have taken their faith in us by depositing the dollars with us and borrowing money from us, and we turn around and share some of that back with the community. And that's mm. what it's about, and that's the fabric of community banks. And that's a long story to kind of get into why I got into it, but it's just that it's mm. this idea of well, okay, you could go to Wall Street. Uh, there's all kinds of different worlds you can go within uh, myself getting a finance degree. Uh, but there's not, there's not many that you can go and play in, in the world of, you know, financial management and, and, and managing this thing that is a bank balance sheet while also taking around and investing some of that back into the community in which you work. Right. Um, which is, um, uh, which is what got me here. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm Southern Milton Tennessee. I spent a lot of time in Nashville building my career, mm-hmm. went to Knoxville to school. And I'm, I, I ran into a Marion County girl in, um, uh, Middle Tennessee. And, and then when the time came for us to move here, raise our family, it was just a, um, kind of a hand in glove fit to, yeah. uh, help here at this bank. So it's been great. Enjoyed it. It's been a hoot. Yeah. And how long have you been in your current role? So I've been president and CEO for um, about three years. And before that, I was chief credit officer. Um, And, you know, my my previous banking career was all over the place from, you know, um, particular product management Mm -hmm. to sales to credit administration and uh, all of those different things, which in essence makes a good community banker. One of my one of my mentors, um, when I when I took this job a few years ago, I, I immediately called him up and said, "Hey, let's let's go to di- let's go to dinner. I yeah. want to hear you know, your thoughts on this." And he had one of the most wise things I've ever heard anybody say. He says, "I'm a generalist because I'm not I'm not particularly great at everything. I just know a little bit about everything, and mm. then you rely on the people around you that are the experts to help give you the." stuff that kind of fills in the places to help you make the decisions. And, and I think I've just built my career over just trying to learn as much as I can about every single facet. And, and that served me well into the seat that I am now, because, you know, it's, it, it, uh, it's a job, you know, running a bank is a very unique thing. 
and um, it's a job that can become really hard if you're not willing to listen to the people around you mm. uh, that are the experts. So just try to be a generalist and learn as much as you can learn and, and, um, and hopefully use that as context of the information that people are giving you yeah. that are the experts and then, and then go from there. I think that's great career advice. I think that's great relationship advice as well. I think you could apply that across a broad range of things and probably have a lot of good results from that. I think so. It it makes things a lot less stressful Mm -hmm. because, you know, I I found that the more you, the more you probably rely on yourself, um, the more stressful it makes because it puts Mm. that much more pressure on the decision that you're making when you may not have the best set of data to make that decision. Um, it's, it's better to surround you with folks that are, that have the appropriate data and have the ability to get that data to help you make the decision. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a more, um, uh, pressure packed spot to be in than if, if you're trying to make every decision every day based off of just the data that you have. Yeah. Misery. That's, that's misery. Yeah. It's limiting the data set. So I think. Uh, community bankers in general are very good at that. They're very good mm-hmm. at surrounding themselves with folks that uh, are very good um, holders of data and knowledge and all those things that can help make the decisions easier. Yeah. I've seen that in my time here as well. So Tower has really almost doubled in the time that you've been here. And that's a pretty tremendous amount of growth for anyone to lead through. Can you talk through some of the challenges that that have been experienced as a part of that growth and how you've overcome those? Well, sure. Anybody that's listening to this that uh, might be in the financial industry or, or have been on the, uh, the really the, the, the management of a bank balance sheet knows that growth is a very difficult thing to do with the bank. Mm-hmm. And it starts with <clears throat> this idea that we do have a federal charter and and we do have this these folks that we answer to that says, okay, here's how you need to run your bank. Here's how you run it safely. Here, here are your margins. Here are your lanes. And and that stuff is just kind of a given. When you grow, it just puts stress on that. So mm-hmm. we won't bore everybody with the details of all the things that we have to do. But when you when you're growing a bank as quickly as we've grown it, and with a strategy that we've grown it where we've kind of got this mothership here in Jasper and the legacy market. And then we're going out into these metropolitan markets and like the Huntsville's and the Chattanooga's and the Mm -hmm. Nashville's and the Franklin's. You have to know that that support is in place to handle that. So those folks don't feel like they're an Island. Are we communicating, um, um, consistently across all of our markets? Are Mm -hmm. we offering consistent products? Are we, uh, developing the um, uh, technology that we need to develop to um, or or participating with 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 vendors that that have the technology that can help us reach those customers. Those are the things. It's the structural things. And if mm-hmm. there's anything that we've done over the last two years here as we've kind of had this spurt of growth, it is um, idea. Let's 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 set ourselves in the right place structurally. So we know we can support this organization that might be 500 million, 600 million, 700 million, whatever the case may be. And I, I feel pretty good about that. I feel like um, even though that's been a challenge, we've, we've made the investment. Um, we've uh, put the people in place. We've uh, put the structures, we put the processes in place to handle um, where we're going in the future. Mm. And that's hard to do. It is. You it's have hard to, to have, look that far. You have out. to have a lot of um, 
we, we work on a five-year strategic plan here, and you have to have a lot of buy-in from your board, from your shareholders, mm-hmm. from your holding company in our case, and your senior management team, which you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have buy-in from all of those stakeholders to um, to make those things happen, regardless if you put them on paper. They cost money. Mm-hmm. They take time. You need to be uh, time bound in how you're trying to trying to hit those goals. And if you don't have everybody bought in, you're just not going to accomplish that. And and we've had times in this organization where we've put real money at risk. Uh, the, the most most recently, the one that probably jumps out at everybody is our interactive teller machines. And at the time, mm-hmm. that was a tremendous. Um, that was a tremendous investment for a small bank like ours to invest in this technology that was a little bit unknown. Certainly in the state of Tennessee, we were uh, one of the first banks in the state to actually put interactive teller machines out there, but it's one of the best things we ever did because, um, um, you know, we run 50% of our transactions through those interactive teller machines now. So it's, wow. it's, um, but it was a gut check time, you know, when you're investing that kind of money into technology that you did not know if mm-hmm. it would take hold in your markets. Right. It can be scary. One of the things that I've really enjoyed in my time here at Tower has been how we constantly have that sort of forward-looking approach. And we're always sort of on that. I think the phrase that you use a lot is sort of that bleeding edge, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the yeah. very cutting edge, but, right. but sort of just behind it. Yep. Why the bleeding edge and not the cutting edge? Is that intentional? It, it is. I think um, I think there is some idea that I, th- I think in the community banking space and you know, talking going back to this kind of generalist idea, there are lots of experts in the technology field. There's lots of folks that have much more capital uh, at play that can make investments in things like technology and and software and those kind of things. And and it, it's it's not necessarily the best to be a beta. If you're uh, if you're going out there and taking a chance with somebody, when you have limited capital mm-hmm. uh, to um, you know kind of put at risk, if you have a, a loss out of something like that or some type of investment that you make, so if you're just off the tip of the spear, you know it gives uh, it gives you ability to kind of do some uh, additional due diligence. It allows you to uh, do some things that um, and see what went wrong, what went right. You know, is there a better product out there? And it allows you to kind of capitalize on some of those other uh, data that have been collected by those other yeah. folks. Now, I would say for the virtual bank, we're probably as close to the tip of the spear as we've ever been right. with anything. Yeah, And um, uh, that's interesting. Even though we're out there at the very head of that uh, tip of the spear, um, because of the actual technology and those kind of things out there, we're probably not putting as much money at risk as, for example, we did with the interactive teller machines. Sure. Because a lot of it's web-based. A lot of it's just just general idea. We can use tools that aren't necessarily as expensive yep. as other ways to deploy your brand out there. So, uh, so yeah, we, we are 99% of the time just off of the tip of the spear. Um, but even if we're just off the tip, we, we still have this uh, reputation out there of being a pretty entrepreneurial bank. We don't necessarily run our bank like other community banks. We... Uh, we don't necessarily, um, um, we, we do think a lot into the future and think about, okay, what if we do this? We do think, okay, what happens if we do that? Um, and we're, uh, it's in our DNA to just kind of think outside the box. And at the end of the day, we're still, 
you know, we're still a bank. We still have assets. We still have liabilities. We still have loans. We still have deposits. We still have capital. We still make the majority of our income through interest revenue and fee income. I mean, it's it, it's it, at the end of the day, we're still that, even though we're kind of entrepreneurial in how we yeah. think. But but um, yeah, it's um, we, yeah. sometimes when we walk in the room, I, I joke about this. When we walk into any kind of a meeting or something like that, and and they see us and they talk to us, they're like, "Oh goodness, you know, what are those yahoos doing now?" <laughs> because we have done that over the years. We've developed this kind of reputation of. You know, thinking outside the box, the Latino bank is something that we're very proud of right now. It's kind of thinking outside the box from a community bank perspective. The virtual bank, obviously, interactive teller machines was something at the time that was, you know, that was really out there. Um, we, we participate in all kinds of things that aren't necessarily your normal, you know, your normal banking things. What drives that for you personally? So, and, and I mean specific to you because you're the one that really is sort of taking this vision for a future of tower and delivering it and, and getting engagement around the organization. What drives that sort of desire to think differently and take a different approach? Well, I think, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with the, um, and once again, I've been here, you know, I've, I've been here for a limited amount of time over the mm-hmm. 53 years, but I think, the, the, for me, it's the confidence knowing that this financial institution kind of embraces that, yeah. you know, from the, yeah. from the founders all the way up to my predecessor, um, Jeff Post. I think we've all just kind of had this idea, okay, let's use this thing to, um, you know, help our shareholders do what we need to do in the community to help the people. And then let's have some fun while we're doing it. You know, yeah. let's let, we are business people. Let's use our brains. Let's figure out a way to do everything we can do to help our customers and help our community. And a term that that you've thrown out there that we've really adopted as our own this year is be customer obsessed. Mm-hmm. And obsessed is a weird word mm-hmm. to use in a financial institution. Obsessed. Why are they? You know. Yeah. You know, but I think that shows this level of importance we take toward our customer uh, that's going to help us drive development. It's going to help us drive the products that we put out there for people. It's going to help us drive some of the decisions that we may have been doing it the one way for 25 years and let's do it different. Why are we doing it that way? What Mm -hmm. way is better for the customer? Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what makes it fun for me is to always be thinking about, okay, it is a bank balance sheet. Mm -hmm. There's only so many levers that you can pull on a bank balance sheet, but how can we use those things a little bit differently? And that's fun. I mean, that is fun. That's exciting. When, when you and I were in graduate school together and uh, we haven't talked about a lot this Brett, but I've mentioned it now twice. Brett and I actually met each other. In graduate school, that's right at uh, at UT and and in the uh, Haslam School of Business up there, and uh, but what was so cool about um, you know meeting Brett is this idea that okay we can bring somebody into our bank that has no banking experience whatsoever, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that excites me, yeah, and, and um, yeah because it's it's. As bankers, we sometimes look at things through rose-colored glasses and how we've done it, and you know we kind of have these blinders on. Well, there's a whole nother world of business out there that that um, that can allow you to um, you know, allow you to be successful. That just may just be slightly different. It may be slightly right. off kilter. Uh, but at the end of the day, even though we've got this balance sheet, there's no reason why we can't use concepts and. Um, uh, things like sales concepts, business concepts, um, economic development concepts. There's no, there's no, um, 
reason why we can't do that here at a financial institution. And yeah. you, uh, there's been a few other folks that we've hired here recently that have helped us really think outside the box and change our opinion of what how things need to be done. And um, that excites me. What I, me too. I, I'm not a I'm not a professional agitator i'm not a i'm not the anti on everything i do sometimes it might seem that way because i'm always asking why Mm -hmm. why did we do it this way why are we doing it this way why shouldn't we challenge how we're going to do that in the future and um um, i I like working in an environment where we can have those conversations and have those debates and and hopefully come up with things that are better uh i think i think our industry especially in the community banking space. And, you know, we share a bunch of knowledge yeah. between our peers. You know, there, there are other industries. I mean, they would never step in the same room with each other and share data that's right. and share information. And that's the cool thing about being in this industry is it's, um, you know, it's okay to sit down with your peer and say, well, here, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's how we're doing it. And is it working? Is it not working? Um, and that's pretty cool. We, we work in a pretty unique industry for that. I think so too. I think most people would be somewhat threatened by that and feel like maybe someone would use that to their advantage, but it sounds like you're taking maybe the opposite approach of like, Hey, we can actually maybe serve the individual communities that we serve better if we're sharing ideas across the table. That's right. I think so. I think, I think, um, you know, you asked the question earlier about kind of what, what what drove me to this world. I think part of that is just that. I think it's using this tool that is a community bank that can turn around and invest in communities. And and, mm-hmm. and lots of times your community leaders, especially if for in a place like the Sequatchie Valley, for example, um, there's only so many resources there, either through government or through your chamber of commerce or through uh, private business that are, that are using their people to kind of make these investments in the community. So the only way you can really make inroads in those communities is to take the experts in a certain mm-hmm. field. In our case, it may be the banks and it may be credit and it may be finance and it may be understanding a larger macroeconomic development picture. And then you've got somebody that's really tactical that understands uh uh, civil infrastructure or uh, understands, um, you know, how to um, run government and put all those things together to help make these communities better. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. It's fun. And Barry, you've, I've heard you actually tell people to find places to volunteer, to find ways and talking about our team members, specifically our team here at Tower. I've heard you talk so much about get involved at your church or your school or in your community and really support that, not just in policy, but also in how you treat our team and in encouraging them to find ways to do that. Can you talk about why that's important to you? Well, it is because, um, you know, it, it, it's important to me because these, these communities, you know, Jasper, South Pittsburgh, for example, that, that we're here in this small part of the world. And I actually heard Jim Deb Fallows actually mention this in your interview to them is the communities are only strong as the people in there and that are willing to show up. I think yeah. was, I think was Deb's term there. It might've been Jim, but I think it was Deb that said, Hey, it's, it's about showing up. That's and, right. And, you know, we've got 85 people here at this institution that, you know, imagine what happens if they just show up. If mm-hmm. it's if it's you know spending time at their at their church, if it's spending time at their local civic organization, if it's spending time 
in their conservation uh, land conservation group, if it's spending time at their university, if it's spending time at the local high school, you know, sporting a athletic team, you know, whatever it is, if we've got 85 of those people running around here and, and you know, as well as I do, those 85 have a plus one in some shape, form or fashion, That's right. you know, it, so those 85 times two can get out and be doing things in the community, not just from a, from a sweat equity standpoint, but from dollars and everything else. That's a real, that's a real effect on a community. And in our community, you, you, you multiply that by, uh, by the other corporations that are, that are headquartered here and, uh, have a pride in the area. Then all of a sudden you've got real impact. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, yeah, that's, um, I believe it's important. I, I, I believe it's important enough. I've actually put it in my folks' annual reviews. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one thing to have career development and, and the goals and all that's associated with making yourself a better work person. It's a whole nother thing to live this balanced life. Yeah. Um, and, and this is not the first time that you've heard the work-life balance thing from me. It's a big part of how I manage people is, you know, this idea that you have this work life that you spend a bunch of your, your time with, you have this personal life, which is your family that you spend a lot of time with. And then you kind of have this third life and that's your, your involvement in your community and the, and the society around you. And, um, I do believe that, that we're here to kind of take care of the places that we live. And so you need to make that commitment as well in whatever shape, form or fashion you think that needs to be into, into getting involved in your community. It feels like those things are always kind of pulling at each other to me. So it, like there's this pull from home of like, my family wants to see more of me. There's this pull sure. from work of I've got these big projects and my team's counting on me or this division is counting on me or Maybe it's just my team that I sit with every day is counting on me. And then you throw in church or community things and they all seem to be fighting for time and fighting against each other for leaders out there who are maybe a little bit scared to encourage their team to invest in their family in a real way. They're afraid if I say, Hey, spend time with your family, it's going to mean that they're spending less time at work and then the work projects suffer. What would you tell them? I would tell them that their sacrifice, if, if, if you're not managing your people to be balanced in their life, they're sacrificing something at work. Mm. Um, it's either, it's either, it could be a stressful situation at home or with family that because you haven't been able to spend enough time there. Well, that, that comes back in the door. Uh, yeah. If that's happening on Monday, it comes back in the door on Tuesday morning and it may affect productivity. It may affect just the general them being able to enjoy their work experience and um and vice versa if 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 i'm running the people too hard if i'm mm-hmm. if i'm not giving them relief if i'm not um uh, it's one thing to give people pats on the back and and all i mean that's that's just kind of natural to folks that are that are out running organizations, but I, I would argue that there's, there's another level and that's, that's forcing those people to be balanced and not giving them a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they're working too hard and if you're putting too much on them from an expectation perspective at work, then that turns around and goes home with them and they may not want to be here either at work right? Uh, because all of a sudden they don't want their spouse to be stressed or they don't want their kids to not have their dad at a baseball game or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so, 
I'm not smart enough and, and to have ever done the, you know, actual data research to say, okay, you know, for every uh, ounce of stress that you might have in you, what does that equate to into productivity and all of that kind of thing? But I do know for a fact that that is there. Yeah. And so it's our responsibility to make our, make sure our folks are balanced. I've had as many conversations with anybody with, with as any conversations with people in my organization as, Hey, you know, you know, take a step back. Yeah. This is all going to be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go home. Yeah. Um, and, and we are believers in that here. And, and we were one of the first organizations in our part of the world to close from a banking perspective, the Friday after Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. And Brett, you've, you've only been, I guess, one Thanksgiving That's right. now in this institution. And we closed on Good Friday, for example. Mm-hmm. We started doing that. Well, you know, for, for years, and it still happens in the banking industry, and for years it was this idea, well, you work the Friday after Thanksgiving. It's just, you know, you're open. You know, people need to do the business and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. And, and, of course, there was, we've got the luxury now of technology and all that to handle basically anything, anything anybody needs, um, outside the bank. But, but Brett, you may be working on Friday, but the rest of your family is off. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, and you come into the work, you come to the bank, you work a little bit and there's really not a whole lot going on around here the Friday after Thanksgiving because right. everybody's out spending time with their families except for the bankers. That's right. So there's real, you have to quit, you have to be able to be honest with yourself as a manager and say, okay, it sure seems better to let my folks just go home on Fridays and mm-hmm. let's close the bank, let's celebrate it. Yeah, let's make sure everybody knows why we're out of the bank. We're out of the bank because our folks need this time to spend with their, you know, with their families. And when we all come back Monday, and then we're going to be better, um, uh, better served to, you know, to suit you, uh, better suited to serve you guys. And um, you gotta, you gotta be able to take the. That doesn't sound like a very risky decision, but it, but it's something where you are possibly sacrificing a little bit of your customer service ability to make Mm -hmm. sure that you're taking care of your folks. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, it's not a very big decision, but you, you can you can debate the fact that, well, perhaps you didn't serve your customer as well on that Friday. Well, I was, I was like, well, you know, possibly, you know, our technology probably did just fine serving those folks. But I know I'm going to serve you better on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week because they were able to spend the time with their family. Mm. So I love that. And I think there's this really interesting thing that happens too, that when you Barry, as my boss, you look at me and you say, Hey, go spend some time with your family. And I do, and I get recharged and I make good memories. The next day when I come back to work, I want to earn that. There's like, (laughs) and it's not, it's not in a way where I feel like I owe you something, but it's because I have a, a natural appreciation for the fact that you saw something happening maybe in my personal life. And you said, Hey Brett, I want you to go spend an extra Friday with your family. I want you to go take Courtney to dinner or what, whatever it was. Now, when I come back to work, I'm like, I appreciate the fact that you saw me as a person and I want to give back and I want to make sure. And I, I don't think it comes across in a transactional way either. I, I don't think it's like, Oh, you know, Barry gave me something. Now I got to give him something. It's yeah. just this mutual respect of seeing each other as human and giving people space to live their lives. And then in sort of reciprocation, now they're more excited to give back to tower, if you will, and to towers customers and to towers team members, because 
they're feeling like they are getting that full spectrum of life. Sure. Well, I think, um, and I appreciate that. I, I, those, those are, those are kind comments and I, I didn't take it as fact, well, you feel like you owe something. It's this general idea. Well, I'm, I'm in balance when I'm doing that. Right. So it allows me to do the things that I need to do around here a little bit better and, um, and without as much stress. And I think I've told you a number of times along with other people, you know, if you're working to seven o'clock around here, you're, you're, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah. Um, there, there's nothing that we're doing here that should take that amount of time away from your family. Yeah. And if you're working 80 hours a week at Tower Community Bank, you're just not doing it right. Yeah. And that's my responsibility as a leader to be able to pick up on that. Now, mm-hmm. it, that, that sounds, um, uh, there's people out there that listen to this saying, well, I have a company full of 500, 600,000 people. I just can't possibly know what's going on with um, with each one of those people. And, and that's, that's true as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a company of 87 people and, and I'm constantly reaching out to folks to see what's going on with them and, and see what's happening with them. And, but what I'm hoping at 87 folks, eventually we'll get to 150, we'll get to 200, we'll get to 300. Well, I, I, I can't do that either. I can't mm-hmm. physically see those people, you know, all the time. But what I'm hoping is that I've instilled that management style into you. That's right. And the rest of our leadership team, for example, here, which is basically a dozen of us. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they can send that out. Yeah. Uh, and, and make that, um, make that a part of the daily life around here. So, uh, it is a commitment. It's a commitment from the board down to say, okay, this is how we're going to run our bank. This is, this is how we're going to run our company, uh, in a way that's going to be, um, uh, kind is not the right word. It, it's just, um, because we're not a, we're not a, a being, yeah. but it's, it's, um, you know, we're going to be empathetic to the folks that work with us and know that there's a balance that they have to keep. I think that's a good way to put it. Barry, tell me about Tower's vision. Tell me about, and specifically maybe your vision of Tower. Where do you see us going in the next three to five years? Well, my vision is is somewhat corrupted by the fact that I love this place. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I love what this bank is about. I love what it was founded on. I love the people. I love the communities that we serve. Um, so my my vision is to, you know, let's let's share that with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Who's to say that that um, we can't make the same impact? In, um, and you know, we've got all these markets, you know, that are these metropolitan markets, and we've got this legacy market here. But who's to say that we can't serve the markets in between those markets? And who's mm. to who's to say that we can't um, um, we can't um, make influence in markets where we're not at right now. You know, right. it could be something as simple as us making investment in a market that is perhaps for a conservation project or for a school system project or for something that it just touches our organization. Yeah. And my, my vision is to, is to get this thing to the point to where we have the technology base, we have the earnings base, we have the balance sheet to just be able to continue to make that happen yeah. in much larger scale. Um, I think it, uh, people would probably be surprised. Um, and we've had several folks that have come through our bank that have been on the inside and said, you know, they say, I just had no idea. 
had no idea what this bank does in the community. And yeah. you take tower and then you, you just uh, exponentially um, or you multiply that by the number of other financial institutions that are doing the exact same thing. Um, and then it's exponential to what that does to the community. So my vision is to is to get us to the situation to where we can do that just as almost just uh, it's just we just write it off as just something we do every day mm-hmm. and it, it the earnings are there to to cover that the uh, shareholder expectations are that we do that the the um the board has this idea that that is what we're about and let's 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 evangelize let's put that out there for everybody to see and yeah and and part of my vision with this virtual bank is just that you know who's to say that we can't expose um, our financial institution and what we're doing to other parts of the country. Yeah. We may never do a loan in those parts of the country. We may we may never take a deposit from those parts of the country. But you know, let's get things out there that are effectual to other people. You know, when Jim and Deb Fallows came in here, <clears throat> you know, we we spent a lot of time talking to those guys, and of course, they're on the podcast. But how awesome is it that they can they can go out there and use what they learned in their visit here uh, last year and perhaps share that same knowledge with somebody else? Well, then we've made an impact. That's right. Um, we, like I said, it doesn't have anything to do with dollars and cents. Um, it has everything to do with, okay, well, let's, let's take some of the things that we've learned in Marion County. Let's share some of our um our work with these people that are known all over the world literally as like jim and deb fallows and then let's make an impact Mm. um we have a lot of partnerships out there that are like that so let's continue to develop those partnerships and and let's 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 let tower serve the you know serve the community at large instead of just this you know just this little part of the world that we call ourselves home and and our investment with the virtual bank, our investments with some of the ways that we're communicating today with podcast and with our social media and all of those kind of things. Um, let's figure out a way to make that happen. I love that. And it's such a, it, we, we can't be a hundred percent altruistic because right. we are, we are That's a right. profit making business. We sure. are, we do have shareholders that we need to make sure we satisfy the commitments there. We do have a regulator that we have to make sure that we satisfy those commitments, but but then the rest of it is up to us mm. to figure out what to do with that. So, and it's easy to let those things overwhelm you. I think to to let the maybe the mission and the things that you just talked about giving back almost fall to the wayside as a result of focusing on these other areas too much. Yep. But it seems to be something that you continually help us refocus on as a team is not forgetting about the ways that we can give back, not forgetting about the ways that we can share more of what tower does really well with other banks or with other communities. And I think that's such a unique way to look at leadership. Was there someone who was instrumental in your life and sort of mentoring you in that way? Or, you know, I guess I just don't see that very often in, in leaders and maybe I just haven't met the right people, but who was it? I've been, I've been very, very, very lucky, Brett. I've had a chance to work with some folks that, that are, are, are the cream of the crop, um, in, in leaders. And, and I did not necessarily put myself in their, in their shadow or whatever the case may be. It's just my career is, is taking, taking me to places that, that I've just been surrounded by good mentors. 
Yeah. And one of them is my predecessor here, you know, uh, David Sharp. When I, I was so lucky to, I was their very first intern at Home Federal back in the day in Knoxville. And I mean, just to work with a guy like that, he was just a legend. Yeah. Um, it was a big deal. And, uh, you know, and, and they let me play around in some things and learn some things from them that otherwise I would not have. Uh, Ed, Ed Lowry up in Murfreesboro and Bill Jones. I mean, those guys are just, are just, yeah, I, I'm always, um, uh, you know, kind of tagging my memory banks for those folks. Had a chance to work with, you know, Terry Turner, some at Pinnacle, who I, yeah, I still, I still use some of his, um, some of his just management style. And, and he, at the time, probably had no idea that I was trying to kind of just, you know, suck that stuff in. But, you know, there's just some things that, that I think are core to my beliefs that, um, that are, are very, you know, I've been very lucky. And I, I look back at some of the, um, the folks that that may not rise to the level of mentors, but just people I learned from by watching them, and and a lot of those folks were bankers. And I was talking about my community bankers over in over in Middle Tennessee that I grew up around, and and then some of the just consummate bankers that I've worked with as as peers over the years. And 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 I mean those those folks have you know um, I've probably learned more from those folks in in you know as far as management skills and how to handle people and and all of those kind of things that I could ever learn in graduate school. Yeah. For example, or any management psychology class or anything like that. I think I think um you know, it's that whole book learning kind of thing. There's mm-hmm. certainly you need to learn your math and you need to learn how to write and and all that kind of stuff, but these kind of soft skills of of how people do things and and um take care of their people is something you just have to learn from folks that are good mentors so i've been very fortunate i mean some people might um, might work their entire career and really only find one true mentor but Mm. i've been lucky to be in these places where i've had many people to um learn from i love that they'll probably kill me for mentioning their names on here but but uh, those guys, <laughs> those, those those folks that I mentioned are very, very, very important to me, and they may not even know that until mm-hmm. they until they hear this thing. But but they are um, they've taught me a lot of lessons over the years. And I think it's important to share that when you do have someone in your life that has made a big impact. It's rare that we find the time to really acknowledge that. And so I I find in my own life that by just taking those little moments of appreciation, even if it just writing it down it doesn't always have to be publicly or to them but it just helps us remember that we didn't get to where we are on our own and that it's it's really on the shoulders of the people like the people that you mentioned and that's a very humbling thing i mean for 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 folks to be able to say that and just say listen you know i suppose that there is a decision or two that that i have made or you have made that that was completely ours mm-hmm. and it could have been a risk decision or it could have been a, a process decision, or it could have been, you know, something that was completely on your shoulders and, and you, you did that on your own. Uh, I, I would say that 99% of the decisions that you, I, or any person have ever made has, a you know, they've, they've somehow been supported by somebody else mm-hmm. and you have to figure out a way to, be able to say that and and understand it and appreciate it and you know keep yourself um 
it's not keep the ego out of it because all of us, all of us want to do cool things and we yeah. want to make cool decisions and we want to yep. make decisions that are impactful and all that. But um, they're they're typically not made in a vacuum. That's right. Uh, some of the best decisions we make around here are just those where we, you know, we get the three or four smartest people in the room and we put them in the table and let's let's debate this, let's figure it out. And here's what I think. What do you think? What you know? And let's go from there. Yeah. And I find for me, it's easy to silo those types of relationships to where you know maybe I see that as valuable in the workplace. But then in one aspect of my personal life, I'll realize I'm really struggling. And maybe it's because I haven't surrounded myself with good mentors and with good friends that are sort of uplifting me in those areas. So it could be my health. And maybe I just need some friends that go to the gym with me or that ride bikes with me or that encourage me to do something more active. And so I love that advice. And I think it applies to a really broad spectrum of your life that you can really think of each individual area or maybe each individual goal that you have personally. And I would write down, who do I have helping me with this? Who's on my team? Who's on my personal board of directors or who, who are my mentors in this? Because that is so powerful to have people who maybe have been there before, who can see some of the snags that you might run into along the way. And then when you do hit those moments of discouragement can say, Hey, you know what? That's normal. I went through that. Sure. And l- let me tell you the story of how I pulled myself up or how my friends surrounded me and, sure. and helped me through that time. Yeah. I think that's a big, so you're, what you're describing there are kind of support circles, you know, that's right. kind of keeping you accountable, um, uh, helping you bring you up when you're down and perhaps bring you down a little when you're too high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we all need those. And I think not just in personal life, but in the professional life as well. Yeah. There's lots of times around a boardroom table or around a committee table here. Um, it's a, it's a function of our board where, you know, I may go into that meeting with a completely different, um, um, perhaps perception of what the problem is and how to solve it. And I come out of there with a completely different idea on how to do that. And, and it's all because, you know, I'm willing to listen to this person who's um, kind of given this wisdom, but it's probably because too, I've been in the, I've been in the huddle with that person before, either from a, uh, either from a, a personal context or a business context. I know I can trust them. Yeah. Um, I know I can, uh, I know I can, um, um, uh, believe in them that they're going to give me the right information at the right time, and mm. and and I am probably notorious for um, you know, giving people a lot of rope. Yeah, I do believe in independence. I do believe in autonomy of the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I suppose that sometimes that could be you know, if somebody pushes that too far, um, I have to figure out a way to clean that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Um, the exception that has been the exception in my career, um, of actually having to clean up something that has just went too far, um, either from a business decision or it's just a mistake or whatever the case may be. Um, so that tells me that it's probably okay to believe in the people around you and to give them the rope that they need, not just from a personal perspective, but from a business perspective as well. So, um, I do trust people. Yeah, and I trust people uh, regardless of what their background is, regardless of um, whether they're bringing a banking background to the business or a like you, somebody that's coming from outside of the world, and same way from a personal belief. I mean, I yeah, I yeah, 
you know, I have friends that have been my friends for for um, the entirety of my, my life almost. I have great wow. friends that I just met in college. I have great friends that I just met in graduate school. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think um, um, I'm just constantly wanting to glean that information. I'm a fan of history. Yeah. Brett. So, you know, history tells us that you, uh, I'm not going to use a cliche of if it repeats itself because that's been used many times. But what history does tell us is that um, people had problems making decisions. Mm. Um, you can go to the most prolific, you know, powerful leaders that we will ever see in our lifetimes. And, you know, people like the Winston Churchills, people like the Roosevelt's, people, uh, people that are the Steve Jobs of the world, people that are, you know, kind of these, uh, the Elon Musk that are out there being invent- innovative and all that kind of thing right now. And then you can take the people that have created businesses or, or things that weren't so successful and if you read all of their memoirs, even if they did not have a memoir, the, the one thing that you're going to see is that they had trouble making decisions. Hmm. They were conflicted just as much as they were sure in their decisions. And and some of those decisions they were making were much more impactful than yeah. some of the decisions that we make here on a daily basis. But but um, they they all, regardless of what the final chapter in that book looks like, they all had problems making decisions and and um, uh, struggled with those decisions. And, and they eventually just had to make a decision that they thought was best at that time. Yeah. And um, that that's all throughout history. Yeah. And, um, and that's uh, you got to know that it's OK to make a decision and that you might struggle with it. It can feel really weighty sometimes yep. to make decisions. I'm so glad that you pointed. It can to- suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. It, it, you know, sometimes there's some decisions that are just, man, God, yeah, I need somebody to help me here. Right. And, uh, and there's nobody to help. You just got to decide to do it and, uh, and, and try to do the best you can. You know, be, being a fan of history, if you think about the generals and, and, and the, uh, the folks who are out in the field in in the Great World Wars. If you think about um, if you think about the folks, uh, I'm a huge fan of Southern Appalachia, mm-hmm. and of course I'm I'm here in that part of the world. So the history of the folks that that settled Southern Appalachia and the folks that decided to move on west uh, to settle the uh, even though Tennessee was part of the frontier until late in the game, you know, well, gosh, what happens when you cross the Mississippi River? What happens when you um, when you cross into the plains? Um, all of those things, you know. Do I send troops out? Do I send more troops out to the front? Do I, you know, what is it? I mean, those are much more important decisions than probably what I'm making sitting here at you know at, 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 on Main Street in Jasper on a daily sure. basis. But uh, they had to make those decisions, you know. Right. You know, do I go over that mountain or do mm-hmm. I stick right here where I'm at and do I want to see what's over the horizon there? Uh, do I send these folks into battle knowing that they might not come back? Yeah. Um, those are, those are you know, much bigger decisions, I think, than, than, um, than what I make. And if they struggle with those decisions and I struggle with those decisions, that's the thing that we share because yeah. my, my decisions probably do feel weighty to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, um, those decisions are pretty weighty for those folks too. What do you do if you've made a decision and 
maybe you realize it wasn't the right decision. How do you keep from beating yourself up and, and sort of move <laughs> forward? Cause it's important to do that quickly. So do you have anything that has worked well for you to sort of gather the lesson and learn the lesson, but also move forward? Yeah. I think the best thing to do is just recognize it very quickly. Um, I think even as, um, even as I've grown up in my career, there's, there's been decisions that were incorrect decisions and I waited too long to recognize that decision mm-hmm. or, I um, waited too long to, you know, try to rectify the problem or whatever the case may be. And I think that that's what weighs on you is not correcting what you might've made from a mistake mm-hmm. perspective and then correcting it and move on. Cause I think, yeah. I think we are a, a, uh, you know, kind of the human, uh, side of us is that we are very patient with folks and we do like to forgive and all that kind of thing. And that general fear is that, um, if you, uh, if, if you know, they're going to be disappointed with me because I made a bad decision. Yeah. Well, that they might be disappointed with you, but, but they're going to be much more disappointed if you don't, if you don't, um, uh, if you don't correct the decision and, and move on and let's all, you know, let's all, um, kind of move on in this workspace. Now, from a personal perspective, Brett, I think, I think, um, it, it's, it's kind of surrounding yourself with love. I think, mm. you know, if, if there's people that are yours in your life that are, that your personal decisions are going to affect on a daily basis, whether it be a spouse or whether it be some type of significant other, or whether it's your kids or, whether it's some other uh, circle of friends that you have in a community or your church or, you know, whatever the case may be, I think um, there's lots of decisions that are probably not the best decisions or decisions you thought were good at the time that's going to affect the group. And you just have to be able to know that those folks are going to love you and give you grace. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's a, that's a choice that you make early on, I think with, you know, who you're surrounding yourself, who you marry or, you know, who you're going to spend your, your, um, partnership time with. Um, yeah. So in the personal life, you just got to know that there's love on the other side of that thing and, and mm-hmm. grace and, you know, yeah, honey. Um, I did go out and buy that bicycle. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It was in the window. It looked pretty. It was shiny. Yeah, let's go buy it. But I bought it. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. you got to you got to kind of you got to kind of fix up that thing. So um, I'll tell I'll tell on myself here. And sure, and, um, I'm a huge cycling fan. If if everybody hasn't started to pick up on that yet, but. But um, I was I was toying with buying this bike for years, and and, and my my personal belief is uh, you can always have one more bike. You know, it's <laughs> if n plus one is the formula, where it's n a, is the current number you have, there's always one more that you can have. Strong so it's, belief. It's my <laughs> uh, there's math. It's math, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's real. But uh, uh, I had bought this bike and and um, I had kind of told you know Laura that you know I think I'm going to buy another bike and you know I was pretty you know pumped about it. But I didn't tell her I was buying it like tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and um, and it came in and it was in my office and. She had a meeting here at the bank for some reason. It was through a nonprofit, <laughs> and I'd left my office door open, and she steps in, you know, not paying any attention, and and there's this bike sitting there, and and uh, she sends me a picture of her oh. bike. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, I guess, yeah. So that, yeah, you got away. <laughs> I think she still loves me today, but but uh, that was two two or three years ago. So um, 
but uh, yeah, I think you guys surround yourself with folks that you know. If you if you uh, buy the bike tomorrow instead of six months from now, when you when you told her you might buy it, that you know you got to have them willing to kind of accept that. Yeah. My phrase was always, <laughs> I'm thinking about buying. Right. I test the waters. And then if there's a good positive response to the, I'm thinking about buying it. So yeah, by the way. Yeah. Like, that's a like well-used right phase now. in the cycling community, Brett. That's uh <laughs> that's the go-to. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. So yeah. I love that. Yep. Well, Barry, you talked about cycling. What else do you do in your free time? What do you enjoy? Well, I think generally speaking, I'm a huge fan of the outdoors. Um, And uh, cycling certainly makes up the um, majority part of my outdoor time. But I I love to hike and I love to adventure and I love to um, uh, be with people that love the same thing. And, um, you know, the the calendar for me uh, from an outdoor perspective or from a family calendar perspective is usually built around four or five, you know, fairly large and significant uh, events, either cycling or camping or yeah, whatever the case may be that sometimes combination of both. Yeah. That, um, um, that make me happy. It keeps me, it keeps me balanced. Laura will tell me a lot of times, you know, Hey, um, I think you should go ride your bike today, which is code mm. for you, you, you're pretty, you're way on pretty tight right now. You probably mm. should get out and get some fresh air. And, and I think, um, um, I'm in my happy place when I'm out like that and yeah. uh, adventuring a little bit and, uh, the bicycle is the tool for that. Um, and sometimes it's foot, sometimes it's, you know, uh, sometimes it's snowshoes, sometimes it's whatever the case may be, but it's just this idea of, of getting out there and experiencing. I talk to my daughter all the time. My, my oldest daughter, I have two great girls and they're two totally different people, which is what makes them so fun. But my oldest daughter kind of has my outdoor gene. And mm-hmm. I tell her all the time, I was like, you know, if, if we're going to go to, and I love the national parks. I, I do yeah. absolutely love to play in, in the vastness that is our national parks, mm-hmm. our national parks. And, you know, uh, she'll say, well, yeah, we need to go and do this, you know, do this, um, uh, do this hike or, you know, do, do whatever it is in this national park. And I'll say, well, okay, I'll do this, but we're going to get in it. And, <laughs> and that being, you know, it's, it, you know, I can't just go to the trailhead by the major trail off the side of the road and walk in there a mile or two and be done with it. That's yeah. just not me. Yeah. Um, but am I willing to hike 10 or 15 miles in, you know, throw a tent, spend a couple nights, come back out. Yeah, that's me. Mm. Let's get in it. If we're going to go out there and do it, let's get in it. Yeah. And, uh, that's where we ultimately, you know, I think kind of recharge our batteries and, and Mm. uh, thankfully, um, I have people around me that it just so happens to be that my circle of friends are folks that enjoy the same type of thing. And, right. And we're able to go out and enjoy that time with each other and, and razz each other and have fun experiencing yeah. it. And, you know, Laura talks to me all the time about, well, you know, you, yeah, you can go do that by yourself. Like, well, I could, but who am I going to, who can really understand that sunset that I just saw? Who can mm. really understand the waterfall that we happen across? Who can really understand, um, you know, the stories that we told? Who am I going to talk to around the campfire at night? Mm. You know, I, you know, that's part of it to me is sharing it with other people and, and, 
Yeah. And fortunately, when you ride bicycles as much as I do, <clears throat> you have to ride them by yourself sometimes. But, you know, I go two or three days riding by myself. I'd much rather be out riding with some of the guys. Yeah. Um, because that's, you know, I, I remember those much more than just the training rides when I was out by myself. I'd, I'd much rather be out there uh, suffering with with other people. Mm. I love that. And I really love that idea. Even taking, so let's, let's transition back to Tower. The journey is so much more meaningful when you have people to share those big accomplishments with. Yeah. And, and I think that's so cool about tower and what a unique perspective to bring towards tower is like when we hit these cool mountaintop experiences of hey we accomplished the goal we can look around at each other and we're all looking at that view together sure you know we've got a a goal out there that's a pretty major goal for our organization right now and i won't bore everybody with the details the goal but the goal is something that really all 85 of us are going to have to participate in. And, yeah. and, and uh, you probably read a correspondence that I sent out right before the end of the year where I said, you know, there's, you know, as, as much as it would be cool to have, um, you know, 20 people in the organization help us get this goal, what would just really, you know, just absolutely give me a kick is to see all 85 of us participate in this. And that's yeah. regardless of what place you actually have in, in the organization. Mm-hmm. in operations or somewhere on the front line or in management or whatever the case may be, um, you know, if we can all participate in that, it's just going to make it better for all of us. That's and right. it is that maybe it is a suffer, you know, Hey, let's suffer together and let's make this happen. And, and, um, um, let's, let's all celebrate it. Let's all tell stories about it. And, um, let's, uh, you know, let's, um, brag about it when we hit it. Yeah. Barry, what are you excited about at Tower? I am excited about the future, you know, for the first time in our organization, you know, we're 53 years old this year. And Mm -hmm. what, what people might not know about our bank is, um, for, for a big chunk of time, you know, we were sitting at about 70 million in assets when, and we started doing some things around here that, uh, allowed us to go to, you know, go to 100 and then go to 130 and, and we made a couple of key decisions back, you know, well before my time here that said, okay, let's go to these metropolitan markets. And and now all of a sudden we're sitting here as a, you know, 300 and we'll call it a $350 million bank. And we're having those discussions over, okay, are we ready to go to 500? Are we ready to go to 700? And, and those numbers don't necessarily mean anything except for the fact that it tells us that you know, we're growing this financial institution that started out just as this idea mm-hmm. um, to um, serve these communities that we're in. And now all of a sudden we're serving multiple communities. We're, we're, um, uh, we're employing all these souls. Um, and I do see them as souls. So yeah. what excites me is the fact that, you know, instead of it being 85 people, maybe it's a hundred people and, yeah, and maybe we're able to, uh, do that much more when we're at 500 million or 700 million or whatever the case may be. And that's what excites me mm. is, um, is, and you could call it evangelism, maybe, yeah. maybe getting out there yeah. and, and, you know, being proud of what we have and proud of the people that we have around here. Um, I can't wait to see what that looks like. And I, you know, I'm, I've got another, you know, 20 years or so probably to work here and, and, um, you know, it, it's pretty exciting to think about what could be out there, you know, in year 20. Yeah. 
Um, and what excites me is that I've got all these young folks around here like yourself that we're going to turn the keys over to at some point. Yeah. And it excites me to see what you guys are going to do with it. Um, because whatever it is that we've done with it, you know, thus far and, and what all of my, um, folks before me here have done, you know, you guys are going to do something with it that we, we can't even, uh, probably comprehend yet. Um, so I'm excited about that. I, I feel like we're doing the work for you guys at this point. You know, we're the ones sitting here saying, okay, we want to leave this thing in good shape for you. And we want to leave it with enough momentum that you guys can take it and do what y'all want to do with it. Yeah. That um, is exciting. And that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty daggum exciting, you know? And, and I think, um, um, you know, when, when you guys do, as y'all get it to where it operates more efficiently, y'all are just mm-hmm. so much better at that than the generations that, that I've uh, come from. You guys have um, business tactics and strategies and skills that uh, people of my generation before just we just didn't know. I mean, there, there's yeah. literature concepts that are brand new um, and things that um, you guys are going to have, um, um, you know, a um regulators and all that are that are learning how to let banks use those tools in different ways you guys are going to have so many more things at your uh kind of at your fingertips that we just didn't know so you so it, it's it's kind of um it's hard for me to say well i don't know what this thing's gonna look like yeah which is kind of cool that is so, cool. so folks like you guys are gonna need to take it and run with it and um and do your own thing with it. And, and that's pretty exciting to see. I'd, I'd love to be, you know, sitting on my proverbial porch one day and, and, um, you know, you know, doing all of my banking or seeing where you guys are doing all of your banking through some, you know, some technology. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Well, you know, tower, you know, just upped its commitment to the Marion County scholarship fund mm. for university of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. We, we doubled that commitment so we can serve five students instead of two students, you know, yeah. you know, I think, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that you guys are now sponsoring a full theater series in, in Marion County or whatever the case may be, instead of us having one production yeah. that we're sponsoring. I, I'd love to see how all that's going to play out. Yeah. And, uh, that's pretty exciting to think about. That's going to happen a long time after after I get out of here. Those are things that we've just set up the foundation for you guys. And, yeah. And um, y'all can take it from there. I love that. Barry, what is the impact that you hope to have with your, and I, that's a pretty broad question, right? <laughs> but what, what, I guess let's just talk about just life. You're looking back, you know, in the kind of twilight years of your life, you're looking back and what's the impact that you hope to be able to look on, look back on and, and be proud of? Well, that, that's a, that's a hard question to answer. Um, when, when you say the, the word impact, um, it, it, it's, it's not that it's a, it's a broad question. It's this, it, it's a very, uh, introspective kind of question for me. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I don't, I have a hard time answering a question as, as to what kind of impact I as in me personally is going to make. Yeah. That, that's just not my nature to think that much into the, you know, a, that, that I could be even making an impact. You know, I think, I I think the impact that I would 
um, probably say is is something that I, I, if I was to look back, it would be a that I left this financial institution in a better place for you guys. Yeah, that's important to me, and and left it in a better place than when I got it from my predecessor and then from the folks that founded the institution. That's very important to me. Yeah. So that, that would be impactful for me. I think from a community perspective, even though I was born in middle Tennessee, um, I was meant to live in Southeast Tennessee and in Southern Appalachia. So there's probably a little bit divine intervention that I met a Marion County girl. Yeah. Um, there was probably, a, um, I tell my family this all the time because all of my brothers still live in Middle Tennessee. I was like, guys, I love y'all, but I was not meant to live in Middle Tennessee. I was meant mm. to live on this side of the Cumberland Plateau. And, um, you know, the kind of, these are my people over here. And, and if I can make some kind of impact on, um, making this place better yeah. uh, and we all know the, the historical challenges of Appalachia uh, and from the southern part at which we live all the way up to the central and northern parts of Appalachia you know if, if I can help people survive and succeed and come back here um, and make this a better place um, and then that's that's the impact that I want. And either that's through conserving land, which is a big deal for me, conserving this place that is Southern Appalachia. If it is uh, creating a better community for the folks to, to have all that they live and all that they want here. Yeah. Um, and something as simple as a, you know, a grocery store or a restaurant or a, 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 a community center or, you know, a, a better um, uh, pedestrian path or whatever the case may be just to make it easier and to in, impact the quality of life here. Um, that would be good. Yeah. Um, if, um, if it's making sure people can get some of their education paid for in college, that's good. Um, all of that stuff. If, if, if I was to, you know, if I was to say what my impact that would be, yeah, I was, I was at a funeral recently on Saturday for actually a friend of my older daughter's her father passed away unexpectedly yeah and it struck me as the eulogy was being told and as the friends and family came up to talk about uh, his life um, and they they used a couple of key terms one was passion Hmm. Um, one was this idea that um, not just did he have passion for what he did but he also seemed to always uh, defer to um the people around him when he was making mm. decisions and things that would impact them. And when he made the decision, how did it impact them? So I'd like to, I'd like to think that my impact is, is that, is that, um, people know that, um, um, I'm here to support the community and them. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, that's a pretty tall order, especially for somebody that's still an outsider. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't grow up here as they say, I'm, I'm not from here mm. and I'll always kind of be an outsider. But if, if, if I can, if I can provide the impact that, that they feel like I'm one of them, you know, 20, 25 years down the road. And I, I, I gave all of my, you know, heart and soul into making sure this place was, was better than when I left it. And that's, I, I, I can wash my hands and go sit in the front porch and know that I've, I've done okay. That's a beautiful answer. Oh, so. beautiful answer. 
Last question for you, Barry. Uh, thank you so much for being on today. What advice would you give someone who wants to make an impact in their life, but they're just starting out on their journey and they're not quite sure where to start? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, the, the advice that I would give anybody, and it comes from a place of humility, is, um, hey, get out there. Uh, feel your way around. Uh, see what makes sense to you. See what kind of speaks to your heart. Um, and either through a, through a career or through some of the things that you do outside of your career, through some of your personal life, and that's to fill it out and and, and see what works. You know, that's what you do with everything else in your life. You know, when you're yeah. making a when you're making a decision or whatever, you, you kind of ultimately fall back to your heart. And I think I think that's what I would tell people is we're, we're all smart. We're all we all understand kind of how life works and how business works and all that. But our hearts are all just a little bit different. And so make sure you get out there. And whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that, that, that you're trying to make this decision to get involved with, it's got to come from the heart because that's where you're going to make the most impact. Mm. There's been plenty of things that I've been engaged with over the years that I, I love the process of working through it and helping the people and all that kind of thing. But, it, you know, it kind of ended. It was kind of transactional. Um, but the things where I made a real, uh, if you call it an impact, were things that I was just really bought into in my heart. So. Mm. So spend some time before you make any decision on anything that you do. Just say, hey, what is it? You know, how does it speak to my heart? And then take it from there. I think that's a great place to call it a podcast, Barry. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Thank- I appreciate you having me on here. You know, uh, for those of you that are, that are listening here, have you know, Brett's um, uh, done a fantastic job of of getting this great content and this kind of thing that we've that that we dreamed about and and putting it to um, kind of in three dimensional living color here. So for for you to take the time to you know kind of uh, squeeze me into the fallows and rich hencappies and those folks of the world that are much more um, uh, celebratory and famous than me, it's kind of cool to um, sit down and do this. Yeah, absolutely, Barry. Thank you so much for being on the show. And that's one of the things I think is actually really important to get across with the show is that impact isn't always on a global scale. It isn't always on a national scale, but impact like you're talking about where you're changing maybe the landscape of a community, you're impacting lives in an organization that has a ripple effect. And that's what I want to encourage people that are listening and hearing stories just like yours, just like Rich's, just like Deb and Jim Fallows is that there's a lot of different paths to make difference and what you're doing is making a difference. So thanks for sharing your story today. Glad to do it. It's been fun. Thanks, Brett. See you. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much to Barry for being on the Impact Code today, for inspiring this show and for helping fund this show. The Impact Code wouldn't exist without Barry's inspiration, vision, and leadership. I hope that you left today as inspired by his philosophy around building something to hand off to the next generation and building a legacy in his role here at Tower. If you want to reach out to Barry, the best way to do that is to go right to Tower's website, www.towercommunitybank.com. Go to the about page, the leadership tab, and you'll see Barry there and can get his information there. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a review, or you can send us a message at podcast at towercommunitybank.com.
Those actions take very little time, but have a huge impact on our ability to continue to scale the show, to reach new audiences, and to know what we're doing well and what we need to improve. So take a quick minute and do that. It would mean the world to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I know you have many options on podcasts, on entertainment, and on things to fill your time with. So the fact that you listen to this episode means the world. Thanks for tuning in. As always, thanks to Tower Community Bank for sponsoring the Impact Code and making this show possible. Check out Tower at towercommunitybank.com. Or if you want to talk to a live virtual banker, you can do so at virtual.towercommunitybank.com. That's all for today. And I look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of The Impact Code. Bye.